My name is Chris. So Appalachian State is in Boone, North Carolina, and it's on top of a mountain. And it's the high, the, the, the town with the highest elevation east of the Mississippi, and it's like half the elevation of this place, which is just bananas. It was like half, like a little bit more than half of Albuquerque, which was like felt pretty flat. So this is uh, me and my intern Garrett's first time out in the Southwest. New Mexico is beautiful. Just flying in was just like kind of stuck to the window. So it was really great. Um, I'm married to Sarah Jane. And we and who's amazing, yeah, and deserves that. Thank you, Anna. Um, she would appreciate that. And uh, we have three daughters, and they're six, four, and two. And I got them a snow globe with an alien inside of it at the airport. And I'm feeling really excited about that. <laughs> so, um, but I just wanted to say uh, welcome to all of you that are here. And I know some of y'all are here and you feel really comfortable with this group of people. You're really excited to be here and you came really hopeful and expectant into this weekend. And some of you guys are kind of, in, you know, not sure. And some of, some of y'all are here and you're like, why did I come to this? Um, we just started and it's 1030 uh, or 1230 internally if you live on the East Coast. Um, and you're just feeling like this is sort of an awkward place. Someone invited you or someone twisted your arm to come. And you're just feeling like you're the one person here that doesn't really fit with this group. These aren't your people. This isn't your space. The singing songs and listening to some dude talk is kind of weird for you. And I just want to say thank you, especially if that's you or you resonate with that at all. Um, I remember being that person as a student in college and going to RUF stuff. And I, I wasn't a Christian. I played in an ACDC cover band um, with these guys, and they they went to RUF and they took me with them. And, um, and anyway, and I, I came to know Jesus through through RUF. But I remember very very vividly that these songs like don't I don't even use these words in like when I'm writing a paper in the songs that we're singing. So um, glad that um, you're here. And some of you guys may be asking, you know, your friend invited you or your campus minister or intern invited you and you're like, what intentions does this person have for me this weekend? And um, we're always asking um, sort of internally what people's intentions are for us. Whether it's a new friend we're making or um, a guy or girl that is talking to us in a romantic way. Um, and we're like, what, what are they intending for this relationship? Are they intending for friendship? Are they intending something more? What are they hoping for? Um, you know, we inaugurated a new president um, last year. And there's a sense of like, what are this person's intentions for us? What do they want to do with us? And um, God has intentions for you. And what I want to talk about with you this weekend is what God's intentions are for you if you know Jesus. And simply, if you know Jesus, God's intention for you is to make you more and more like Jesus. Um, that as you live and as you grow, you gradually begin to take on the character of Jesus. And here's, here's why that's good news for all of y'all tonight, no matter who you are and where you're coming from, is that the Lord Jesus was the most fully human person that ever existed. The human existence that he lived was so full of life and so full of joy and so full of love that he really just encapsulated what it really means to be a human in its fullest sense. And I know for a fact that everyone here wants to be who they were created to be, 
wants to sort of live into your full potential as a human and to really be fully human. Nobody just wants to make it through the day. We all want to live with purpose and with fullness. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this weekend, how Jesus uh, intends to make you like himself and so be fully human. And uh, tonight I want to look at John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, You you can have your friend turn to John 3 if you don't know where that is. Or you can just listen because that's how people heard, you know, got the Bible for thousands of years. And so you would be in good company if you were just listening. And uh, we're going to be in John John 3. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And um, I want to start here because... If we're going to talk about the the kind of people that Jesus wants to make us, we have to figure out where to start. What is that even the starting place for that? How do we get the life to do that? So we're in John 3, starting in verse 1. Listen, this is the word of the living God. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask God to be with us as we look at his word together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this time together, this time to get away from our campuses and um, to, to rest. Um, to enjoy what you've made, and uh, more than anything, to to get a taste of you, to see you in a new way, to hear your voice. And Lord, we ask that you would come to us by your spirit, uh, that you would take your word and that you would drive it deep into our hearts, that we would love you and that we would become more and more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 
So Jesus is talking with a guy named Nicodemus. A couple of things about Nicodemus. Number one, incredible name. Um, name game strong out of Nicodemus. Parents were very forward-looking in the name. Second is that he says that he's a man of the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. And here's what that means. Uh, if you grew up in a sort of churchy background, Bible-y background, when you hear Pharisee, you think these are, these are like bad guys. Um, but the Pharisees would have been uh, the most respected and successful people in the first century Jewish culture. These were the people that were doing it right. The people that little Jewish, you know, the Jewish mothers wanted their little boys to grow up to be like. People liked him and looked up to him. And in verse 2, here's, here's the thing that we see about him is he comes to Jesus and you got to think, Jesus is like this small-time, backwoods, sort of like wandering around preacher, poor, um, pretty unknown. And yet this very successful, respected um, man from the community is coming to Jesus and asking him questions at night. And he's very complimentary of him. He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, we know that you're from God. And we know that you're doing great things. We, you know, and he has questions for him. And that shows that not only is he successful and respected, he's also very open-minded. He's very cosmopolitan. He's not just like some strict, closed-minded, um, sort of religious type, uh, but a guy that's very open-minded. Uh, think, uh, I try to think of who, who an example would be, like Tom Hanks, right? Like everybody likes Tom Hanks. Um, it's like you're like, he's successful, and uh, talented, but seems like a good dude, right? He's like sort of like a like your dad. Um, I have an aunt, and she hates Tom Hanks. And uh, someone who clearly over here also hates Tom Hanks. Jen hates Tom Hanks. Okay, but this is this is like that proves the rule, right? That like everyone loves Tom Hanks except for Jen Mayfield. Incredible. Anyone that hates Tom Hanks is super weird. Um, let's be honest about that. Or okay, so if you hate Tom Hanks, like Tina Fey, right? Tina Fey is successful, beautiful. Everyone looks up to her, but also seems very open-minded, very kind, nice person, uh, smart, successful, beautiful, savvy. Role model, universally liked, open-minded about the world. In short, if there was anybody that's doing being a human well, it's Nicodemus, right? Top of his field, smart guy, everyone loves him, open-minded. Yet, look at what Jesus tells him right out of the box in verse 3. He says, look, I say to you, unless, you are unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the first thing to be fully human that Jesus shows us is that if you want to be fully human, you have to start completely over. You have to allow your life to be reborn. He says, Nicodemus, I know you think you know what God is up to, but you can't even see what God is doing unless you're born again. No matter how put together you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how beautiful you are. I mean, think about whatever that group of people is on your campus that everyone looks to and goes, they're doing it right. At Appalachian, those people are called ambassadors. They're like lead tours on campus. They're like prefects at Hogwarts. No matter how beautiful, successful, put together, and liked you are or aren't, 
We all start from a position of blindness, Jesus is saying. We all start from a position of ignorance. We all start from a position of need. And Jesus explains why in, in verses 4 through 6. Nicodemus is really confused. He's like, do you have to go like back into your mom's womb to get born? Again, that seems, you know painful. Um, and, and Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, look, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And what, really what Jesus is saying is, is you can be physically alive. Like you can be present. You can be in the room. And yet you have not even been spiritually born yet. Um, that you can not, be, not even be spiritually aware. And if you're going to develop the character of Jesus, he what he's saying is you have to be born of his spirit. Think about it like this. I'm stealing this from a bald white guy in New York named Tim Keller. Um, but he said, imagine you have an apple tree, okay? And, you, and you've enjoyed the apples for years. It's been great. And you decide, you know, I'm kind of like through with the apple phase of my life, and I want to move into more of a citrus phase. And I want some oranges now. I want some oranges off my tree. Um, there are a couple of things you could try. You could try um, to uh, give a lot of really great things to the tree, right? You could fertilize the tree. You could hug the tree. You could water the tree. You could give good things and sort of do tree care, right? And in the end, all you're going to get is bigger apples, right? Um, I have, like I said, maybe some horticulture people here that can just like give me some light nodding to let me know I'm going the wrong, the right way here. Um, so you could love the tree and just like so just give that tree care, and you're just going to get bigger apples. Or you could take the opposite approach. You say, you know, if I want to get oranges, the thing I need to do is I really need to discipline this tree. I need to cut this tree back. Every branch that seems even slightly ungainly, I'm lopping it off. You just really trim the tree down to its essence. And actually all that's going to happen is you're going to get more apples. The tree will produce more apples for you. If you want oranges, you're going to have to get rid of the apple tree and plant a new tree and allow a new tree to grow. And those two approaches are usually what we try to do, at least what I try to do. Um, we try to make a change. We try to, to care for ourselves better, discipline ourselves better. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you've got to start totally over. You have to be totally re reborn. And what that means is we need God to work a miracle in us. And that is true no matter what kind of person you are, no matter what background you come from, no matter how successful you are. In short, look, becoming like Jesus is not natural for anybody. It's not natural for anybody in this room. And that's why actually the most ungracious and non-Christian thing that you could do, the most anti-Christian thing you could do, um, is to actually be self-righteous. To say, you know, I'm doing pretty well here. I'm making a lot of um, strides on my own. And sort of distinguish yourself from other people based on your spirituality and your morality. Because what Jesus is saying is, look, nobody's getting it right. Nobody arrives put together. Nobody's naturally closer to God. On the other hand, the most beautiful and gracious and Christ-like thing that we can do is to actually engage with other people in love and in humility. To say, yeah, I know how that feels too and come alongside other people. The best rationale for community that there is, I think, is knowing that we need to be reborn in Jesus. We start out the same. We need the same grace. I don't think there's a better rationale for reconciliation racially or in your family, culturally or on your campus, or just between you and your roommate, 
you and your mom and dad, then, hey, I need this grace from Jesus in my life, and so do you. So to be fully human, you need to start completely over. But also, to be fully human, you have to get new life. You have to receive new life. Part of what makes Jesus so compelling and special, and I remember when I was first coming around, again, with my friends from the ACDC cover band, and hearing about Jesus, what, what shook me about him is that he was simultaneously, like, really intensely honest with people, like, in a cringing, kind of cringeworthy way, and that he was also so radically loving and affirming. Like, honesty and affirmation are just not things that we usually see uh, uh, together as well as Jesus does it. And, and he's telling Nicodemus, look, your situation is hopeless. You have to be born again. But... Um, what he is offering to us is so much more beautiful than we can imagine. If you look in verse 16, I guess this is like the most famous verse in the Bible, which I didn't really think about before I started preaching it. Um, but no, it's, that's fine. Uh, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that God loves people so much that he gave his own life so that you could have eternal life. Um, sometimes we think in Christian circles, God loves me because Jesus died for me. Like God was like, I don't like that person. And then Jesus died. And then God goes, well, now I have to. Because, you know, my son died and everything for them. But Jesus says it's completely opposite. The reason why Jesus went to the cross to die, to give new life, was because he loved his people so much. Jesus gives his life to give you eternal life. You become a child of God with a new life in God. And um, I, I've had the privilege of knowing tons of uh, people that grew up um, with like adopted brothers and sisters in their families. And um, it's a really cool picture because, like, for example, I grew up and my dad was not in, in my life. My dad split when I was a baby. And, um, but as I grew, even though he wasn't there, even though he wasn't part of my life, even though I didn't see him, I grew up to look like him because of the DNA that I have for my dad. Two siblings can grow up, and if they have different parents, they get the same care, the same environment, but they're always going to grow and take on the features of their parents. And the same is true, Jesus says, spiritually. When a person is born of the Spirit, they have this whole new life, this whole new spiritual DNA, and they will always develop according to that family DNA that we get from Jesus, because that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And the thing that the life that Jesus wants to give you is not a tweak to your life. It's not a lifestyle change. As a friend said, it, God's Spirit doesn't give you a new app, right? He gives you a new operating system. It completely changes our life. And you have to be powered down, and a whole new life has to come uh, inside of you. And the Spirit gives life to you, a life that allows you to love without expecting anything in return. A life that allows you to forgive people even when they're not asking for you to forgive them. A life that gives you joy that isn't dependent on your circumstances. And one thing I know is true from everybody, about everybody in this room is that everybody here wants to change and to grow. Nobody, whatever, wherever you're coming from tonight, 
Everybody has a standard and expectation in their mind for the kind of person that they want to be. And nobody in this room is achieving that standard. Um, which is maybe the de most depressing thing that I've said all day. Um, <clears throat> but my question is, we all want to change and grow. And there are things that, we, that, we, that frustrate us about ourselves. And most of the things that we really dislike in other people are things that frustrate us about, the, about ourselves. And whether you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus or not, how well are your attempts at change coming? Um, how well are your attempts to meet that standard that you have inside or that standard from your family or from your campus or from a mentor in your life uh, or what you feel like is a standard for you in the Bible? How well are those attempts to change coming for you? What power do you have to change? Um, and simply, like, could it just be that you need new life from Jesus? Like, you need a new source, a new spiritual DNA to change. And you know how seriously to take a gift that someone gives you based on how much it costs that person. Not how much it costs, right? Someone that's very wealthy can give you a very exorbitant gift, and you think, well, it didn't cost them that much. Um, but when someone gives you pretty much everything they have, then you go, oh, wow, I, I really can see how they feel about me in that gift. And the life that Jesus gives to people freely uh, is a life that literally cost him everything. It cost him his family. It cost him his safety, his security, uh, his comfort. And that's why you can trust the life that Jesus wants to give to you. So to be fully human, you need to start over and you need to have new life. The last thing um, that I want to end on together is that to become fully human, to become like Jesus, you have to learn how to walk again. This new life is a work of God. It's spiritual. And I think um, spiritual, like religious people, often we go, okay, that's something that sort of engages me in my mind and in my soul. But we don't often think about how it engages us and changes our lives, like the lives that we're actually living, the things that we do. Like I've heard someone say, like, the real Christian life happens at, like, 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, right, when you're trying to figure out, what am I going to do the rest of this day? This new life in Jesus um, changes us there. Look at verse 8. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What Jesus is saying is when you have new life and you're born again in the Spirit and Jesus gives you this new family DNA, that the Spirit begins to come into your life and to blow you around, to direct your life and to change how you interact at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now our guide. God himself guides us. And Paul, the Apostle Paul says in, in the book of Galatians that when we're born of the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, it's not passive. We follow the leader. Um, God makes us new and gives us life so that we can live. So we can truly live. Um, I love Harry Potter. Um, I just had the privilege of reading the first Harry Potter book to my children, um, which it was like a mystical experience. 
And um, because I was like already old when Harry Potter was coming out, so I didn't get to do that. By the way, when you have six, four, and two-year-old children, first Harry Potter book is like magical and amazing. As soon as you start the second book, you're like, we have to wait like five more years because it's real dark, real fast. Um, but they, but they loved it. But but Harry Potter illustrates this so beautifully. This new life that comes and changes how we live day to day. Um, if you know the story, which I hope you do, um, when the when Harry's living under the cupboard, in, I mean, uh, in the cupboard under the stairs on Privet Drive, and the letters start to flood into his house, right? These letters from from Hogwarts, from Professor McGonagall, saying that, hey, you're a wizard, you belong at the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He receives a new identity. In a sense, he's like legitimately born again in that moment because up to that moment, he thought he was just this kid who was basically in an abusive family. And then all of a sudden he realized, I'm a wizard. Like, I didn't even know there were wizards, and I am one. Uh, he has a new identity, he has a new life, and it's a, it's a life that is unimaginably better than the one that he lived in the cupboard under the stairs. But it's precisely because of the new life that he has that he has to leave Privet Drive, right? That he has to leave everything that he knew, everything that was comfortable for him, and start this new life. He has to learn a new way of living, one that's completely foreign to him and one that's in step with his new identity as a, as a wizard. And as you may know, that path is fraught with danger and pain, like immense pain. Um, because it's not easy becoming who you really are. Um, and my question is, had Harry chosen not to leave and just to stay in the cupboard under the stairs, would he be any less of a wizard? No, like that still would be, he couldn't change who his parents were. He couldn't change what he received. He couldn't change his identity. Um, but would it be sad? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Think about all like the, the beautiful and unimaginably better life that Harry walked out into by learning how to walk. And the new life that Jesus calls us to walk in his spirit is to learn how to walk in newness of life. And as we talk about that some more this week, what I want us to be remembering and to set the table for the rest of our time is that becoming like Jesus doesn't come naturally to any of us. And each of us is learning how to walk. But the good news is this, because this guy named John Owen used to say, you have a weak faith. You have a strong Christ. He intends to make you like himself, to, to give you a new life and teach you how to walk, to make you really human. And, and I hope that as we continue to unpack that, that you'll follow him. Uh, let me pray. Father, thank you so much um, for this place again. Um, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you, um, that you love people. That you love us not in just a way where you go, okay, I will forgive you and uh, I'll let you off and I'll, I'll let you into heaven or whatever. But that you love us so much that you are intent on changing us now. And um, Lord, we thank you for the identity that we can have as uh, children of God. We thank you for the promises that we can have of having a new life. And Lord, I thank you for all of our friends that are here um, tonight. And Lord, I'm grateful that you know where each of us are, where each of us come into this room tonight, and that you know how to speak to our hearts to make what Jesus is saying sound sweet to us and sound compelling to us. And Lord, whether we're hearing that for the first time or hearing that uh, once again, 
We ask that you would do that, that you would, um, that you would help us to see Jesus, that you, Lord Jesus, would be beautiful and we would be drawn to you. We pray in your name. Amen.